Thank you. Good. Well, uh, we're looking today into uh, Mark's Gospel. We've been in Mark's Gospel for a, a few weeks, uh, looking each week in this church. We uh, spend some of our time looking into the Bible and uh, I'm trying to understand it. It does baffle us at times. If, uh, uh, and uh, we're on page uh, 1005 today. Um, and uh, if you want to just turn that up, then you can see that, um, where it's coming from. And as Lou has been saying, um, each time we've had these uh, sessions, there's a question behind it. And the question today is, why did Jesus talk in riddles? As I say, Mark's Gospel. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying it. Have you been enjoying going through Mark's Gospel? How long has it been? About four or five weeks now. I have. It's been great. And, and especially the last few weeks, I've been kind of sitting out there listening and, and, and enjoying other people speaking on it. It's been really good. Uh, it's great, been great to get into this message, which is really all about Jesus, the King, uh, the Kingdom of God. He, you know, that's the first thing he says. This is the good news. Repent, the Kingdom of God is here. And Jesus kind of bursts into history, kind of arrives, and um, it's just uh, amazing, isn't it? He comes with this authority. Nobody had seen anyone quite like him before. And we've seen how he, he called people uh, to follow him into a different way of living completely. We've seen how he had that amazing authority over evil powers, demonic spirits that were oppressing people then and still do today. He heals people. He forgives sins. And more than that, he, he welcomes people who sin, sinners. He eats with them. Yet he, his, his friends are amongst the, the tax collectors and sinners we've seen. And it's all kind of fast and furious. And the crowds are gathering and he's making a big impact. Of course, there's another kind of impact going on as well as, uh, at the same time. Because maybe you've noticed that some people are beginning to be critical and quite hostile to Jesus. And that's especially true of the religious leadership and the political leadership too. Uh, the teachers of the law, they're described, and the Herodians. That's in chapter 3, verse 6. It actually says that even now, at this, at this point, very early in Jesus' ministry, they are looking for a way to get rid of him. So already, you know, things are, are not necessarily that straightforward. And as we saw last week, and we'll go back there today, even Jesus' family are not quite sure about him. They're uncomfortable at the very least. But you might be thinking, well, okay, it's all great, but as we were thinking a few weeks ago, what's that all got to do with us? And that's why we've got the title of this series. I must apologize for my voice. I kind of hope I don't end up like um, Theresa May at the Tory party conference. Uh, how she must wish for those golden days of like that, you know, compared to where she is at the moment. But anyway, uh, that's another story. Um, what's all this got to do with us? Double take on Jesus, we're calling it. Behind it is this question, why Jesus? Why he matters so much? What does he bring to us as the human race that we can't get from anywhere else? What can he bring to you that you don't already have if you believe in God and basically want to be a nice person? What more does Jesus bring? Remember, that's what's behind this. Remember, we talked about being confident, 
confident as believers, like the early church that first heard this message, the very first of the Gospels to be written. Suffering persecution and difficulty, needing to be confident, sure of what we know, sure of what we experience of Jesus, sure enough and confident enough to be able to share that with other people. And sure enough, as indeed it was happening for the first readers who who heard or read this book, probably most of them heard it because there had only been one or two copies written down and had been read out in their communities. Those people who themselves could have been, uh, you know, for the execution or for torture or to be used as, as torches in Nero's gardens in Rome. This book was written for God's people in Rome originally. That's where it began, at a time when the persecution was hotting up. So how are they going to be confident to suffer for Jesus? That's a a key thing. And it's important as we may be starting the Christian life, if you're looking into uh, Jesus and what it means to follow him, and it's important too as we continue, as we go on. It's a key thing. Why Jesus? How can we be confident? I'm going to cough, so... (coughs) Uh, I kind of haven't got a cough button. You know, on the radio, they press a button and you can cough. Uh, here, I can't cough. The guys in the gallery just have to watch when I kind of go like that to take it down. Anyway, I'm all right so, so far. Anyway, this shouldn't be about me and my cough. It should be about Jesus in this. So let's go on with that. Anyway, so uh, it's important, isn't it? Behind this question, though, is another one. Really, what kind of king is Jesus. If he's come as a king, well, how is he going to reign? Where is his power? Or what does power, kind of, where does power come into? Because usually kings and governments and kingdoms are about power, aren't they? And and that's going to be a question. If Jesus is coming as king, how's that going to work then? That's really important. And today's question which is why does he talk in riddles, is really key to those other ones. Because the answer to that question helps us to find out what kind of king he is and how it is that he he wants to rule our lives, how the kingdom works. Helps us answer this question, why Jesus? Some of us, you may be thinking, why Jesus? Others of us may be thinking, why should I carry on with Jesus? So why did Jesus talk in riddles then? Well, there's uh, two reasons, a very quick reason. Firstly, it was practical. Look at chapter 3, verse 20 to 23. So that's on page 1005. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Then verse 23, so Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. He started speaking in parables because of that. And then at the end of verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. 
Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. See, this is telling us about this opposition that's coming. Jesus is accused of being possessed by a really serious big-time demon that they knew as Beelzebub. And there's also this trouble from his, his relatives. Uh, it talks in the first part of his family who want to come and kind of take him away because they think he's gone completely crazy. Uh, and then later on, his mother and brothers are there. So, you know, it could be, you know, this is a, a, a community in Galilee. He'd have had family everywhere as well as his nuclear family. So obviously there's been a bit of talk amongst the wider uncles, aunties, cousins. What's wrong with Jesus? You know, let, well, I think we better do something about it. And they're there, but then also his mother and his brothers uh, are outside as well. So, so there's this kind of um, problem being generated as well as the accusation of being possessed by a demon. And what Jesus does here is he kind of says, look, there's a kind of separation going on. Because he says, look, you know, there's a crowd, and then around him there's this group of people who are sitting, listening, want to do what he says. He's kind of, it's, a, it's like there, there's a sifting happening. Some people are wanting to do God's will, other people just don't want to know anything about it. In fact, think Jesus is crazy and would really rather get rid of him. And Jesus is telling this, uh, speaking in stories and parables, firstly to hold back this opposition for now. Uh, when, when the time is right, he's going to welcome, if that's the right word, the opposition, because he's going to take him to the cross. But at this stage he's saying, I'm just going to rein it back a bit. Uh, and he's also doing it to, if you like, help the people who really want to know, know, but enable the people who don't really want to know to miss it if they don't want it, basically. So there's a very practical reason, a kind of sifting that's going on, but there's another important reason, and this is this, that parables demonstrate how the kingdom works, how, the king, how Jesus is king in our lives. They show us how unique he is among others. And he kind of begins to unpack this by telling a story and having a conversation about it. So let's read the story in chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were all along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell, among the path, uh, fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow... But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Let them hear. And when he was alone... <coughs> The twelve uh, and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them 
The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that, and he quotes from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in the Old Testament, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path when the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes. Because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things uh, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times that was sown. Here's the first main point. Jesus wants us to listen, okay? That's what this, it, well, do you think, what's the point of this story? What does it say very, at the very beginning of it and the very end of it? Jesus says, if you've got, he, he starts off by saying, listen, listen. And then at the end of the, he says, if you've got ears, then listen. You've got to listen, he says, Jesus' kingdom works not by force, but by invitation. It's there for you. Just listen. Listen carefully. Listen to what I'm saying. Now, do you remember when I introduced the series back in whenever it was, we learned that the word gospel, the word evangel, that, Mark, that, that, that is used on the very first verse of Mark's gospel, had a meaning in the Roman world. Do you remember that? You know, when a big deal went, happened, when something big went down, the emperor had done something, or he'd had a birthday, or they were celebrating some great thing in the empire, or if an official was coming to a Roman city, um, a, a proclamation would be made, and it was called an evangel. It was saying, something big has happened, and it's all to do with the empire. It's a great thing, and, you know, that's what happens. That's what evangel means. Now, in the Roman Empire... It was a pretty strong thing. It was all about power. It was a way of showing the emperor's power. Jesus, it's not about that. It's about invitation. He said, I've got this thing to tell you, but I'm not coming like the Roman Empire, or emperor. In, in the Roman Empire, uh, you know, if you didn't listen, <laughs> you're in trouble. Jesus is saying you can listen or you can ignore it. You didn't get that option with the empire. Not if you wanted to stay alive and be healthy anyway. Jesus is saying, I'm coming as a king and my kingdom is coming as I'm inviting people to listen. Interesting, isn't it? Have you ever asked a question uh, or had it asked of you or complained to you? I certainly have. Why doesn't God just make it so clear that it's impossible not to believe. Some of you who aren't yet Christians may be thinking that. Maybe on Alpha you can say that. Why is it, you know, surely God could have done something that is just so 
you know, impossible to ignore, then everyone would have to believe. And, uh, you know, we've got sympathy with that. Uh, and there may be answers to that. But it's certainly not how it works, is it? That's not how the kingdom works. And actually, one of the reasons for that is that even if he did that, lots of us wouldn't want it anyway. And in a sense, we'd be more kind of confirmed in our unbelief, wouldn't we? So all the time, we have the opportunity to listen and find out for ourselves and go a bit further a step at a time then it's kind of open for us. We can be open. We can take that journey of discovery because that's the way the kingdom works. Jesus tells them this from verse 10. Look at verse 10 onwards. They're alone, and Jesus answers their questions about the parable, and he says to them in verse 11, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you, But those on the outside, everything is said in parables. And this idea is about a secret. He says, it's actually the word mystery. And it's a word that you see in different parts of the Bible in the New Testament. Um, Like when, you know, very famous sometimes at funerals, people quote from one of Paul's letters where it says in the old version, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. It's the same word. And when the Bible, when, when the New Testament uses the word mystery, mysterion in Greek, it doesn't, it's not like kind of Harry Potter and, you know, a secret dark arts that, you know, are, are held by a few and, you know, are inaccessible to others. When, when it, the word is used in, in the uh, New Testament, it's saying it's kind of an open secret. It's not a, a secret, a mystery that's, that's kind of hidden for everybody, but it's something that, as the person's talking about it, they are saying, This is it. They're kind of opening it up to the people who are hearing. And that's what Jesus means here. He's saying that, look, there's a kind of sifting going on. Did you notice that there were two groups? He said, look, he said, there are you, the disciples, the 12 and others with them. And he said, there are those on the outside. You see, there's the crowd. Now, watch for the crowd as you continue through Mark's gospel. The crowd is almost becomes one of the characters. And there's this whole crowd going around. We saw it like yes, uh, last Sunday where Jesus kind of calls people out of the crowd to follow him. There's this kind of, kind of division kind of going on, kind of sifting going on. Those who want to know. And he quotes Isaiah here. Uh, Isaiah, God tells Isaiah in the Old Testament that when he preached God's word, most people wouldn't believe him. And Jesus is saying, you know, that's the same for me. And the reason is not because, as Lou said earlier, not because they're too dumb to get it. This isn't an intelligence test. It's an openness test. If you're open to it, or if you just take a step to start being open to it, then there's more to follow. And there's this kind of division taking place. Now the key question then is, how do you get to know the secret? What is it that means, why is it that some people see it and some people that miss it altogether? How do you tell who's on the outside and who's on the inside? Is it a bit elitist? 
Is it a pre-selected few that are going to get on the inside while the others on the outside, tough luck for them? No, that's not what Jesus says here, is it? Because he answers it in the explanation of the parable. Look at what he says from verse 10 onwards. It turns out that it all depends upon how you listen, what you hear. Jesus tells us in these verses that, look, he says there, when he starts to explain the parable, verse 14, the farmer sows the word. And then each, if you go through all the verses to verse 20, each verse contains the word, word. The word, the word, the word, he keeps saying. What is the word then? Then in the New Testament, it's referred to as Jesus' teaching. It's the message that Mark and others shared about Jesus as they told others. It was the word they shared. The New Testament as a whole, along with the Old Testament, is God's word. And, and, and what Jesus is saying is that, that people can hear the word, but what happens next is a bit affected, to put it mildly, by the way we listen. And he says there are four factors uh, affecting how we hear. The first one is Satan. He says, like the birds take the seed away, he says, Satan, there's a spiritual battle going on and Satan can snatch away God's word from us really getting it into our hearts. Have you ever noticed that? I have. I could tell you stories about it. I won't. Um, I will tell you one story somebody told me about a couple who were getting to know a church, getting to know some friends um, in, the, in the church, and they were really interested in, uh, and actually emailed the pastor and, uh, and said, uh, hi, is it okay uh, one of us is a Hindu and the other is a Muslim and we really like, we really feel that our, our faiths are not meeting our needs. Can we come to your church? And the pastor uh, and their friends said, yeah, that would be great. And they started to come. You wouldn't believe what happened to them next. Absolutely everything I piled in and all the trouble and difficulty and everything, circumstances, they just, you know... It, at the moment, as far as I know, um, they are still not moved on from that place. It's a true story. The pastor in a church, won't say where, snatched away. We see it here sometimes. Somebody does something or some troubled person. Happened actually at the carol service. There was a drunk man at the carol service who... who whose intervention kind of snatched, I know, snatched seed away. I saw it. It happens. There's a spiritual battle that goes on. That's why we need to pray, and be alert, and be aware. That's what Jesus says anyway here, isn't it? Or he says, that there's like the seed that falls on stony ground, it doesn't have depth. He says, some people receive the word, they, they're really joyful, they think it's great to start with. And then when troubles and persecutions come, they give up. And it's like, well, I'm fine with this when, when my life gets better. But once my life gets a bit more difficult, whoa, I'm out of here. I don't want that, thanks. 
God, huh, I thought God was going to make my life better. I thought you promised me joy and perfect life and everything would be fine and all my relationships would be sorted. Oh, no, they're not. Well, forget that then. And the problem there is that they kind of hear, heard what they wanted to hear. And it's very easy. You know, there are some situations you can go, some parts of the world, you can show the Jesus video and you can say, everybody, who wants to become a Christian? Put your hands up, say this prayer after me. Uh, and then you'll go back, you know, later and some will be real, but most probably will not. Because people don't hear, they don't keep listening. There's another factor here as well, Jesus says, that affects our ability to hear. And, and that kind of comes out of circumstances, he says. There's worries. He talks about the deceitfulness of wealth, desires for other things. And these are circumstances that kind of, I haven't got time now, but think about that list. Worries, the deceitfulness of wealth. Well, what's behind that? The idea that, you know, money's going to save me from everything or um, it's all about money or just the other things that come in. They're kind of heart things. Heart matters, really. Do I trust God or money? Am I going to worry? Are my desires the key thing? Or what God might have to say if my desires don't align with his truth and his way? Those kind of things come into our hearts and, you know, it means that the word gets choked. It says the plant grows, but it's just so kind of surrounded by these other things that choke it that it doesn't produce fruit much or we can accept the word jesus says and and in luke's gospel luke's uh, account of the parable of the sower he talks about people who accept god's word don't just hear it don't just kind of receive it but say yes okay i'll have it on the inside and it might be difficult and when troubles come you think well yeah but i'm going to stick with jesus and Luke says they hear it from a good and noble heart. Their hearts are in a place. They say, okay, Jesus, you can, you, know, kind of have, you can get into the core of my being. First in my life, my Lord, my Savior, my God, my Deliverer, my Healer, all those things, but you're there, you're, you're, you're at the heart of it. And those four things affect the way we hear. And that's how Jesus' kingship Works out, isn't it? We need to listen, respond carefully with our hearts. They need to be for him. We can listen and we can follow or we can ignore. It really is up to you and me. And that's true at the beginning when we kind of are looking into becoming Christians. And I think often I was brought up to see this parable as all about why people become Christians or don't become Christians. And there's some truth in that. But as I look at my own life and my own heart, well, I can see actually those things affect me still. There's a spiritual battle that goes on over temptation and other stuff. Yeah, uh, you know... When we become Christians and follow Jesus, get baptized, obey him in that way, follow on, continue through the Christian life, um, do none of us ever suffer then from the temptation that says, things are going so badly, what's the point? I might as well not be a Christian. Anyone ever thought that here? It's an ongoing thing, isn't it? 
And what about these things that creep into our hearts that we worry about, that we, you know, the, the sleepless nights and other things. And I know there are mental health issues and I don't want to guilt you. Sometimes there are all kinds of reasons for sleep besides. It's not a helpful one. But sometimes things come in and we get very worried. Uh, and, and the worry is coming from places that if we were able to just be a little bit more secure in our hearts with Jesus or we we're going to say, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him to meet my needs. I'm going to trust him with the desires I have, and especially if I don't quite know what to do with them. You know, those kind of things are still part of discipleship, aren't they? Is that right? So we need to listen. So Jesus wants us to listen. Am I listening? Are you listening? But very much more briefly, Jesus then goes on to tell the disciples and us some more stories. And these are stories that really encourage us to listen, okay? The first one's a bit of a kind of a statement, there's a bit of a warning, there's a bit of a challenge there. But then Jesus says some amazing things. Let's, let's look at verse 21 to start with. Uh, verse 21, I mean, sorry, I'm I'm in the wrong chapter. I thought, that's funny. It's about wine and wineskins, but it isn't. It's about a lamp on a sand. Verse 21, over the page. Jesus said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Again, here's the thing. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you used, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Here's the first thing then. There is light to be seen. If you want to see it, it's there, Jesus is saying through this little story. Now, I, one of the scholars I read said, came up with a thought, and I, it really took me down a little path here, but anyway... He said, look, Jesus is probably talking to his disciples now in a, in a house. You know, he could be in the evening. Uh, you know, he could be inside. And so, like probably when he told the parable of the sower, there was probably a sower over there, you know, by the lake a, a bit further away. And he said, look at that sower over there. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you a story. Well, it's very possible that Jesus is in, in the house or in the courtyard of a Middle Eastern place talking to his disciples. And it's, it's evening, so the lamp oils, the little lamp oils are lit. And, you know, there's a basket on the ground or there may be a bed in the corner. I don't know whether they have them, uh, had them then like these kind of a wooden frame with kind of some kind of twining on them that people would just use uh, at night time. And Jesus says, look, as he's talking there, he said, look, when you've got a lamp, you've got a light, you don't put it under the bed. You don't put it under a basket. It's there to be seen. A simple thing, isn't it? So we need to listen. He says, so listen. Because it's there for you if you want to see it. And then verse 24. I got going with my imagination here, but maybe they'd had a meal. And maybe there's some empty plates around. And maybe, you know, sometimes, you know, when you clear up the plates from washing up, you know, there's some, some people have had like three helpings and, you know, that's, and that's the Middle Eastern way. You know, go to Asia or somewhere. You, you know, they want to give you plenty of food. So, you know, you, 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 you know, when you had enough, 
I don't know what's right in the Middle East still. Is that right, Lou? You leave a bit on your plate so they know not to give you any more. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, imagine there's, there's maybe some empty plates there and there's some plates with food on it which are going to be cleared away. And Jesus says, now look, listen, you need to listen carefully and use what you hear. Like when you have a plate of food, you know, if, the, you, you, if you eat it, you get more in the Middle East and in, and in Asia too. Um, and if, if there's... If you, but if you don't eat it, you know, so maybe one of the disciples maybe felt like you know, some of us feel a bit under the weather, and so they may have just not had much food, you know, so perhaps they just had a few bites and it was left on the plate. That's going to be cleared away, isn't it, thrown out. And Jesus said it's like that with the light, with the word, listening to God, use it. And if you're likely to get more on your plate, if you eat the first lot, it's basically simple idea isn't it but it's a great encouragement isn't it to listen and as we listen as we seek God as we ask questions and there are always because there are always things we don't understand there are areas in our life I was talking to a friend of mine he's been a friend all our well not all our lives but I first met him when I was in the fourth form at secondary school and he's just having a sabbath he's a bit older than me he's coming out to retirement and he was saying I want to look at some questions uh, he has had a tragedy. His granddaughter died recently, a young child. Very, very difficult for him as a family. Uh, them and as, as a family. I, you know, he said, I thought I might try and, just try and you know, look at those questions. I was going to do some study on that. The thing is, you know, my friend's been a Christian all his life. And, he, and the struggle, but he's, he's not said, I'm, I'm going to give up on that. I'm going to stop asking God to help me with this issue. He's going to keep going with it. And I think sometimes with us, we, we settle for a very superficial Christianity because we, we don't keep going. And when there aren't any answers, because sometimes in, uh, in the issue that my, my friend and his family have faced, there's no answer. There isn't one. There was no answer for Job's suffering. There was no answer to it. People tried to give him some. He tried to work out some from himself but they were wrong and the answers that other people gave him were pretty unhelpful. Some of them were complete rubbish. But what he did get at the end was that God spoke to him and showed him who he was, what he was like, how he could be trusted without the answers. That doesn't mean there are no answers. There are some, (laughs) but there will always be some things that we don't understand. And the question comes, are we going to just trust God in those instances? True at the beginning and true on the way. Uh, that encourages us to keep listening, but there's more encouragement. And this time, the encouragement is about the seed. And there are two stories here about seed. And I won't uh, read them because uh, we need to stop. But if you look at verses 26 to 29, it's all about the mystery of farming. You plant something and it grows all by itself. And the key thing is that the seed has life in it. The Bible describes uh, what we share as the word of life, Philippians 2, verse 16. And that life, that word, that truth has life in it. It's not all about you. It's not up to you. There is that life from the word. And then verse 30 to 32, Jesus tells a story about how the seed grows. I don't know, I'm going into my imagination here, but... Uh, you, you know, when you, when you have mustard seeds in cooking, 
Do you sometimes see them on the plate afterwards? I, I don't know. I know you put them in sometimes. Uh, maybe there was a mustard seed on a plate or something, but Jesus said, look, the mustard seed is the smallest seed known in Israel at the time. It grows to a huge, great shrub. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like that. The seed grows. Once planted in a life, once planted in a community, once planted in a nation, once planted in the world, the word grows, produces amazing, unexpected results. We live in our country. Uh, aspects of our life in the West are the fruit of God's word doing just that. Uh, Lou's house group notes a few weeks ago uh, helped us look into that a bit more. It became bigger than the Roman Empire. It ended slavery. It brought things like health care as we know it. It's changed the history of nations. The word grows. Be encouraged and plant it and receive it and listen. And then can I just finish? Look at verses 33 to 34. Last word of Jesus and parables. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. That's a really key little verse, isn't it? It's all out there for everyone. But Jesus uh, takes them forward one step at a time. Look at that thing, as much as they could understand. That's how Jesus becomes our king. How we live with him as king, one step at a time, as we respond to what we do understand and trust him for what we don't yet understand. But the way the word works can bring a filter. If we want to hear it, we can. And if we don't want to, then we won't. And then look at that little phrase there. When he was alone with his disciples. Hearing the word leads into this relationship. He's a king who can be our personal teacher. Like our personal coach. Our personal trainer. And it's not easy to figure out. It's not easy to understand. Because I think Jesus wants us individually and as communities to go to him and find out. To get to know him better as we struggle through things. So that we know him as our king, our teacher, and our friend. That thing about coming to him we heard about last week. Being with him as well as being sent out by him. So then, are we going to listen? It's a matter of the heart, really, isn't it? Will we open our hearts to him again, maybe? Or again, in areas where we've shut them off because perhaps it's too difficult? Are we going to return or come to him in repentance, in worship, in love, running after our king, who comes to meet us with his grace? with his truth, and with his love. Let's listen. Be a community of people who listen and hear and follow. For his glory and our joy. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray you would help us know that in our experiences. Help us to be those who, when there's battle, know your victory. Who, when we're tempted to uh, because it gets tough, give up. Know that we put that aside. Know that when our hearts are wandering after things that we know are going to displace you,
we come back and we find you again to be all that our hearts really need. Thank you for being our amazing, gracious, welcoming, loving, light-bringing King and friend and Saviour. Lord, may we just follow after you with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.